Welcome, everybody, to Need Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor, and this is, I guess, a bonus episode. We're just kicking off our new season of the podcast. We will be covering Succession from week to week, as well as Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets premieres to streaming this Friday, and I'll have a conversation with Sona breaking down the premiere episode in just a couple more days. Before we kick off those new series, do check out our coverage last week of the finales of both The Last of Us and Your Honor on Showtime. In the Your Honor finale episode, do check out a recap of the finale of Yellow Jackets if you're looking for a primer to refresh your memory on last season of Yellow Jackets. And also check out an episode I just published this Monday where I have several conversations covering the the previous season of Succession. My friend Sarah, who was recently on the podcast discussing the Apple TV show Shrinking, in this earlier conversation, she had done a case study, a psychological case study on the Roy family. And in that same episode, I republished Son and I discussing the final two episodes of last year's series, a very eventful finale. So feel free to listen to those conversations before next week's premiere. Also, speaking of shrinking, that will be wrapping up this week, and we will probably be discussing it next week in possibly another bonus episode where we talk about some of these additional series that will be premiering before the end of the month. Speaking of Apple TV+, Plus, I did want to spend a few moments discussing Ted Lasso. The third and final season of, of Ted Lasso just premiered last week. And as often the case with Ted Lasso, I find myself a little wobbly from episode to episode. In season one, I'd heard all these rave reviews, and I being of a more cynical temperament than most, I would think, I wasn't completely bought in on this Ted Lasso character and on the series itself. But by the end of that short first season, I was all in. I had fallen in love with Ted Lasso, the series, and the character. And I'm like, all right, Ted, you got me. But I struggled more so with season two. It was longer. The episodes had gotten longer. It was far less focused. And a lot of the plot machinations had become a little rom-com or soap opera, I think very intentionally, since there's so many references to classic rom-coms in the series itself, so many movie references of all types. But as is the case with Ted Lasso, especially two of those final three episodes really were great, truly great episodes. And that Ted Lasso, he got me again by the end of season two. <laughs> but it, but I feel like I'm always having this tension with the characters in the series itself. I'm like Keely and Roy Kent. I never know whether we should break up or not and don't really know why I'm still there or why I'm breaking up. <laughs> so now we have arrived at season three. And as is usually the case, I found the first episode of the season to be a little wobbly, a little questioning as to whether I'm going to hang in there. And then they did it again. This second episode of the season is a really, really solid episode, a very long 50 minute episode. And usually this is something that gets in the way, I think, of the quality of the show. But they've basically bifurcated this episode where the first half is mostly interpersonal drama. We get the rom-com slash soapy part of the plot. And in the back half, we get the focus on their first match. We have a new prima donna player who could be just what the team needs to have a competitive season or could be the demise of them all. I think we know how it's all going to play out, but we're here to see it all coalesce. This episode, by the way, is called I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea. And there is a question as to whether this character is going to end up at Chelsea. And of course, the title is a reference to the Elvis Costello song. And the strongest part of this episode, honestly, is the fact that 
they so cleverly tie together the drama that plays out in the field and in sport itself and tie it back to Roy Kent's issues within his interpersonal life itself. The show even winks at the audience there at the end saying quite a metaphor sport is. And I think it really works beautifully in this particular episode. So you got me again, Ted. It's funny that this has some of the same creative talent behind the scenes as Shrinking because I oftentimes have the exact same experience watching Shrinking. The point that it's making is so earnest and so right on the nose so frequently, it really shouldn't work. But there's something in its earnestness, kind of a relief after years of prestige TV being considered purely the cynical, the dark. And Shrinking, by the way, is renewed for a second season. As far as Ted Lasso, this will be the final season of Ted Lasso, but there are discussions as to spinning it off. And of course, given how this is Apple TV's most successful series, I'm sure these creatives will come up with something to keep these characters ongoing. And of course, Apple is very vested in continuing this franchise. Speaking of Apple TV+, Plus, I've also caught up on Extrapolations, a show, uh, an anthology series that premiered just last week. Three episodes are currently available. By the time you're listening to this, there might be a fourth. I've only watched two. Now, this anthology series has attracted incredible talent and is written and directed by Scott C. Burns, a very well-respected screenwriter, has worked frequently with Steven Soderbergh. And I honestly thought this was a great concept on paper to take the climate crisis that we're in currently and extrapolate it out 10 years and then 20 years and then further out to see what the consequences of our actions or inactions today have on the future. I think this is an incredibly important issue. And as a matter of fact, we just had the UN Climate Change Report issued just this week. And pretty encouragingly, by the way, I, there's a nightmare scenarios in that report. And I think that's probably what the headlines are going to read. But encouragingly, they do mention the fact that we don't have to get to 100% of our targets to improve things. And by the way, we can always exceed our targeted two degree increase and still pull our the reins back in the future as long as we start making small changes today. And of course, most importantly, it doesn't require huge changes today. These could be small changes that accrue over time. So these are all things that I hope we heed those warnings. Now, as far as the series goes, what I would say is I find this topic very interesting. I very much look forward to seeing a very serious examination of these topics. And as I'm watching these episodes, by the way, I am looking up articles on some of these terrifying outcomes that are expressed in this fictional world. So it has some value in piquing my interest and engaging my intellect as far as exploring these topics. But what I would say is as a watching experience, good intentions are not enough to make a good series. And even though I did take a lot away from this, by the way, I feel that the scenarios are pretty much nightmare scenarios. So I would have liked to see maybe just a family over time in the future dealing with the consequences of climate change and not only seeing these off the charts nightmare scenarios, but seeing a more realistic potentially view of it at a in a more engaging way with characters that we can sympathize with and fall in love with. Because in this anthology format, and I really do love anthologies in general, by the way, I feel like we're just reading a dissertation of facts. We need to then go and take these ideas and do scientific research on them rather than having the material integrated into an engaging story. I may very well continue to check in with these, especially if I hear certain episodes really stand out. It also makes some pretty valid points. In some circumstances, some of the 
vulture capitalists in this fictional world that are using climate change and the disasters, the natural disasters that they're spawning simply as money-making opportunities. I honestly do believe that that probably is true of what we will see in the future, but it's just not something that is engaging as far as as watching what should be uh, entertainment. It doesn't use fiction in a way to enrich the material. I honestly would have rather watched one of these National Geographic docu-series where they extrapolate out 10, 20 years and you just have talking heads. I would rather just have an information dump than to have this, which basically is an information dump, but all this is crammed into the mouths of characters that are completely underdeveloped. So I unfortunately cannot recommend the show, although I think the point of it is serious and important. All right. Lastly, before we get into this conversation about the MCU and its general health, as well as the Mandalorian, primarily what we're going to be talking about is this first three episodes at the time, only three episodes of the Mandalorian. I do want to add a little detail here because I have seen the fourth episode, which just dropped today. And some of the criticisms I had of the first three episodes where I feel like they're getting way into the weeds with this mythology and losing the appeal originally of the Mandalorian in the fact that you're allowed to tell a story where it is an action adventure series and you don't need to get into the weeds with all of this mythology. So that general criticism, I would say that this fourth episode alleviated that to some extent. Even when we see Grogu's backstory, we see it in the context of an action sequence. So it really is back in the mode of being an action adventure series week to week. I really do hope it continues in this way. The mythology can still continue to evolve, but let's not make the mythology the focus of these episodes. So I was much happier with this particular episode, which was a little bit of a remediation of these criticisms that I'm going to make in this coming up conversation. A couple more things, just as far as that conversation goes, Ray was actually performing a surgery. So he popped in about 20 minutes into the conversation. I just want to call that out because Nick and I are talking about Quantumania and the MCU, and all of a sudden you'll just hear Ray pop in. <laughs> and I didn't even get to announce him in the conversation. I would have if I'd noticed him pop in, but he just started talking right away. So I never made a formal announcement. He'll be popping in about 20 minutes into the conversation. He is going to provide a lot of context for a lot of these mythology Easter eggs that I have no... I've seen all the movies. I've seen most of the TV series. I've not read any of the books and the comic books, and I don't watch all the animated series either. So a lot of this is new to me, and it does give me some of that context here in this conversation. So if you're struggling with it as well, hopefully it'll help. And a couple more things relating to this most recent fourth episode. I did enjoy this more so than I have the other episodes this season. Like I mentioned, it goes back into that action-adventure territory. I had had a question in our conversation about, well, how do they eat and <laughs> when can or can't they take off their helmet? They, they can never take off their helmet. How does that work? And we do... Uh, apparently have confirmation in this fourth episode that yes, as long as you're alone, even when you're like eating, for example, as long as no one else is around, take off your helmet and eat in peace. Don't have to shove a sandwich under your helmet or anything, <laughs> uh, luckily. Uh, but one of the characters here mentions that a younger character that gets abducted by a dragon of all things is his son. And it suddenly made me think maybe questions that I, I'm not supposed to be asking, but I suddenly started thinking about the mating rituals of the Mandalorians. Do they have to wear helmets? during their intimate moments together? Uh, do they have softer masks or does it have to be the helmet as long as they hide their faces from each other? I'm asking questions I probably shouldn't. They they haven't anticipated, or maybe they have. Uh, I bet you if I Googled this, there will be some not safe for work art collection somewhere on the 
a Tumblr account or something like that, but I probably will avoid doing that. <laughs> and maybe you should all do the same. Okay. So that is the preamble. And here is the conversation. All right. So Nick, how are you feeling about your Mets this season? Well, <laughs> I was happy. Um, I don't know if you saw Edwin Diaz uh, suffered a uh, season-ending injury in the World Baseball Classic, oh my God. Uh, but it, you know everybody was blaming the World Baseball Classic for the injury. But it, it looks like he was probably going to suffer this injury. It was a patellar tendon, patella tendon tear, which I think his leg was probably compromised already. Yeah, that was a severe blow to the Mets' chances. And then this evening, actually, Brendan Nimmo, the Mets center fielder suffered an ankle injury. Hopefully that's not too serious. So I'm, I'm a little bit concerned heading into the season already, but uh, you know, listen, you have to, you have to be the eternal optimist. So, so hopefully uh, you know, they can get past the Diaz injury, but that is a big blow to lose him. Uh, it's a lot of fun and best relief pitcher in baseballs. So it's going to be a rough, uh, rough go, at least initially. Hey, you know, you never know. Yeah. It surprised everybody last year with their run. Uh, although, uh, you know, a little weakness there at the end of the season, but until yep. then, uh, hopefully they, can do that and more this year. All right. The first thing I wanted to talk to you about, we'll have Ray joining the conversation. And I have so many questions about this new season of Mandalorian so far. But before we get to that, what did you think of uh, Quantumania, the uh, new Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, quite a mouthful of a title. What did you think of this movie? It was entertaining, but I think the best way to describe it, at least from my perspective, was I was I was a little underwhelmed by it. Um you know, it it, would, it differed obviously from the prior two installments. Um, a lot of those sort of side characters were not in it. You know, like I think uh, his name is Ruiz, right? And mm, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, Ant Man's Ant Man's buddies, Scott Lang's buddies. You know, none of those guys were in it. Uh, obviously, it took more of a serious tone. Two biggest issues I had with it were. One, it goes back to again everything that we're seeing in this part of the MCU is that. Most of these installments, these movies and these TV so shows are really just doing nothing more than trying to set up the next thing that's coming mm -hmm. along. Exactly. Yep. Which is annoying. You know, the first three or four phases, whatever it was, you know, the whole Infinity Stone saga, those movies were by themselves solid standalone movies that weren't really there to set anything up other than maybe, you know, Infinity War itself, which was the first part of a two part movie. So far, other than maybe Spider Man. No Way Home, and maybe Doctor Strange as well. Everything else, I feel, has really just been to set up the next thing in the MCU or set up the next movie. And this this really had a lot of that same feeling to it. And the second criticism was Kang himself. He didn't really come off as that big of a big bad. It's like you heard all the bad stuff that Kang did, but you didn't really see it on the screen. Yeah is really just referenced in the movie as opposed to like Thanos. You saw the bad stuff that he did, or at least he was like the puppet master to Ronan and all these other folks in, in a lot of the movies that were in the, you know, Infinity uh, Infinity Saga. Kang, it's just like you hear that, like he did all these bad things, he destroyed entire universes, but you never really see anything. He's just the guy. And ultimately he's defeated by an army of, of ants in, in this movie. So <laughs> right, right. it's like, all right, well, you know, compared to Thanos, who who really never lost until Tony got the got the stones at the end of Endgame. Uh, otherwise, Thanos, you know, was able to defeat every single superhero that confronted him. Definitely not as advertised. So those those are like the two 
largest criticisms I have. I mean, there were obviously there were it was enjoyable. I enjoyed the movie, but it just it it certainly it was just underwhelming. I mean, I think that's the best yeah. way I could I could describe it. I find it so strange that in the moment of watching it, I enjoyed it enough. I don't know if I'd ever watch it again, but I did enjoy it mostly throughout. But even while I was watching it, I thought about all the things you mentioned that when my daughter was really young, it's not even that I didn't want to show her the other MCU films. They were just too intense for her. She was like really small, but she liked the Ant-Man movies because they were relatively light. The second one's a little darker, but she was a little older by the time she saw that one. But the first one was pretty light and you know f- fun for her to see as a kid. And what I thought was strange about this one is all the things I liked about an Ant-Man movie was kind of missing. Like they weren't, I mean, the characters were there, but the the tone and the point of those Ant-Man films seemed to be lost because like you said, all they wanted to do was to say, okay, what's a character that's in the quantum universe? Okay, he is. And now we'll use this as an excuse to introduce Kang. And then, like you said, I actually thought that Jonathan Majors, I know some people have problems with his performance. I think that he's both the gentle character he is when he's with Michelle Pfeiffer's character. And then he also is this conqueror because he thinks that he's doing the right thing. So there's all this complexity to his character. But I think that the actor has to do all that work because on the page, they're doing nothing. They're just like you said, they've introduced this character who's like a really bad guy. It's as if they haven't written him a backstory. Jonathan Majors was awesome. And that's the funny thing. Kang and Jonathan Majors was the best part of this movie. The character itself is underwhelming. But Jonathan Majors was the best part of the movie, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's, it's almost weird, you know, I feel the same way. Yeah, it, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to explain. Um, you know, it's it's counterintuitive. And by the way, the only thing that kind of comes out of this movie is I'm excited to see Loki season two. That's it. Oh, that's that's going to be incredible. I mean, <laughs> that that was the other thing. The other thing actually, you just reminded me. The third thing about it was, I figured that the fact that it was in the quantum realm would also have something to do with his ability to time travel and. Right tie into the TVA and ultimately it was nothing. It was almost like it was right. a MacGuffin. Like right. the the quantum realm actually was only the only purpose that it served was that that's where he was banished to. Yep. That's it. That's it. And and I'm like, right. well, okay, you know, you would think that since Kang has these time traveling abilities, and again, I'm not the com you know, raise the comic book reader, I'm not. Uh, but I knew enough to know that Kang time travels and obviously we learned that also in Loki. I figured that the quantum realm in this movie was going to be the, uh, you know, the 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 mechanism that allowed him to time travel, and ultimately, it had nothing to do with it. It actually right. served as a prison for him. Yeah, He's and there somehow, like, which makes no sense. Yeah, they used the quantum realm in Endgame to time travel. It also sort of took the legs out from under my theory that the TVA was actually in the quantum realm, which clearly it's not. I mean, maybe I guess it could still be, but I figured that. At the beginning of the movie, when you see him and then Michelle Pfeiffer's character leaves and you figure when they come back, he's built this society or the civilization within the quantum realm. I'm thinking the TVA has got to be there. I thought they were going to run into Loki at that point and Ant-Man was going to be like, oh, my God, Loki's here. But no, it, it had nothing. One had nothing to do with the other. There's a few things with the action that really drove me nuts. Also, they shot this with the volume, just like Mandalorian. So that's like kind of a segue there for Mandalorian talk, maybe. I don't know if you know about this, the volume technology. No, no. It's a bunch of really, really high definition screens that make a full 360 degree, like a a round container. And then what you do is you put the characters in the middle. So for example, the Mandalorian was one of the first big projects to be shot this way, although the technology already existed because of his armor, everything reflects off the armor. So how are you going to put a camera in front of him, right? It would reflect off of it. 
So they're like, well, how are we going to shoot this? They could use special effects. They could put him in a special kind of armor and then everything could be rendered after the fact. They're like, no, we're going to put him in actual armor and then we'll put him inside this volume. And then the cool thing about the volume, the reason actors like it so much, by the way, the Batman movie, the most recent one was also shot with the volume. So when you have these cityscapes and stuff, they're just projected onto these giant screens and then the actors can act in front of it. But now, like if it's sunset, the light looks natural. So there's like some really, really cool things you can do now with the volume that you couldn't do before. Marvel films have not been shot this way before, but they shot the Mar um, the Ant-Man movie that way. Even without knowing that, when I watched the film, it really felt that way. It felt like these actors were like almost shot in close up. And then when they're in action sequences, they're in their costumes. So they might be very well be stuntmen. And then everything in the background seems disconnected. I'm like, were these people ever in the same room together while they were actually shooting this movie? <laughs> and, and especially with the Ant-Man, when you think about, even though obviously everything's rendered, but you think about how he basically is like bowling a bus down the street or something in San Francisco. Yeah. It feels like he's in a place. You know, it's it's computers, obviously, computer, yeah. computer effects, but it still feels like the place. And here you really just feel like they are just in a room and everything is just special effects all around yep. them. Nothing feels real. And the other thing that's ridiculous about the action in the film was the very end where they've been afraid of Kang this whole entire time. And Kang almost feels in the film like he's a supernatural force. He just has all this power and everybody's afraid of him. But then he actually has this giant army. And like, where was this army? And then the people who fight against him, the rebels, are also have this giant army. And I'm like, it seemed like they were holed up underground in some little city. I didn't realize you had giant spaceships. It turned into one of the Star Wars prequels all of a sudden. <laughs> but only, but yeah. only for the last 10 minutes. Only for the last 10 minutes. It was really weird. I, I won't say I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy the movie. It just, like I said, it was just underwhelming. I thought I would like it a lot more. You know, is it the worst MCU entrant? No, I think a lot of people think it is. I certainly wouldn't put it in, you know, the Hulk or Eternals range of putricity. I would just say <laughs> this might be, you know, it's definitely in the bottom half, but it's not it's not horrible. I think it's better than the second Ant-Man movie. I didn't I didn't really care that much for the Ant-Man and the Wasp movie that, uh, all that much. It, it was just I think maybe expectations might have been too high because Ever since Loki, you've been waiting for Kang to show up. You know that right. Kang's the yeah. big bad in these chapters that of the MCU. Now it's going to be Kang. I think that was part of the problem is that the expectations were very, very high. We've talked about this, you know, Doctor Strange and, and uh, the Multiverse of Madness. I had very low expectations for that movie. Turns out, I would say that it's probably my favorite post-Endgame right. entrant in the MCU other than Loki. Again, I feel like that was more of a standalone movie than than anything that has really been put out with the exception of, again, maybe Spider-Man No Way Home. There were issues. <laughs> there were issues with that, man. I mean, we haven't even gotten into MODOK yet. I mean, he was oh pretty my God, bad. Oh, my Oof, yes. He was pretty bad. I mean, it was kind of funny, but at the same time, like, I got vibes from – my kids used to watch this movie, like – lava girl or something it was like yeah. this movie yes, that, that, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. and george lopez yeah mm -hmm. the george lopez the shark boy and lava girl or something yes. like that yes exactly and it was like a really bad cgi movie and yep. george lopez video game yep yeah george lopez was like a evil character villain that looked like modok and i was like, it was like a tornado at the end right that, yeah like it was like face on is, it yeah, yeah like, terrible he looks exactly like modok from this yeah. movie i'm like that's as good as they could do with, with, with the with the CGI, crazy. I was like, "Wow, that was that was not good." It, they did that it with Photoshop, good. like a, a ten year old version of Photoshop. It looked absolutely <laughs> yeah. terrible. Yes, exactly, um, unbelievable, uh, unbelievable. Here's something you might find interesting to speak to the trajectory of the the series. So, 
not that you could go by this because this is something called cinema score. They ask people on opening night of a movie's opening or the opening weekend to rank it on a grade of A through F. The uh, Marvel films have an incredible track record of getting A's or A minuses almost across the board. You'd be amazed to find out that the Incredible Hulk, the Edward Norton one, has an A minus. That's how dedicated wow. fans are to. So traditionally, by the way, if a film has like a C, it's practically an F. Like a C is a really bad score. So even Bs are considered like, whoa, a B, because you got to think that these are people who are coming out. They are the most hardcore um, yeah. fans. Marvel has this incredible track record of almost all their films have A's or A minuses at worst. Just some kind of proof that maybe we're getting a little tired with this whole entire franchise. For phase one, even The Incredible Hulk had an A minus. Marvel's Avengers has an A plus, which is you know well over 90% of people yeah. gave it a positive response. As a matter of fact, by the way, this is the first B they ever had was the first Thor movie, which I never really loved. Got a B plus. But then they go on a tear and they basically have A's almost all the way down the, the list. And phase three, which obviously culminates with um, Avengers Endgame and then Spider-Man Far From Home, actually has all A's. There's only one A minus, which is that second Ant-Man movie, the one you don't like that much. On top of that, two of these are not only A's, they're A pluses. The Black Panther movie and the Avengers Endgame both get A pluses. So people are really, really happy with the franchise. And then there's only five B's ever. And of those <laughs> five B's, other than Thor, four of them have come recently. Of course, the Ant-Man and the Wasp actually has the worst cinema score. Only the Eternals has this low a score. But to your point, uh, in this whole entire phase, Spider-Man No Way Home has an A+. So people loved that movie. Mm -hmm. But everything else, four Bs. You have Eternals, Doctor Strange, which I know you like. I did too. The most recent Thor, Love and Thunder, and now Ant-Man and the Wasp. So almost half of the films in phase four, phase five. And now the first one of Phase 5 have Bs. They had like a 30-movie stretch where they had yeah. one B in the whole entire batch. And now it's like 50% of the movies are getting Bs from the audiences. It's it's just they have mismanaged the franchise recently, I think. I don't know if they just don't know where they're going or they're just trying to do too much. If you think about it, right, you know, the first Avengers movie that had just, you know, the six superheroes, the first Avengers, right? The, the, yeah. You know, by comparison, a really small number of superheroes. But it was yeah. really good because it was just a good storyline and they didn't get like they weren't getting like too overboard with stuff. Now it's like, you know, everything's tying into everything else or at least they're trying to. But it's just very, very disjointed in terms of where is this where is this franchise going? And I think, you know, the 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 shows, it, it might be just oversaturation. I mean, the shows, some of the shows have been horrendous. Yep. Moon Knight, <laughs> yep. for example, like people, I still don't get people that are like Moon Knight was so great. It was very interesting. I, I listen, that was I, not interesting, the, I no. enjoy the MCU very, very much. <laughs> I had no idea what the hell was going on. I'm like that last episode made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. You know, I'm like, what is it with this? You know, and it's just like, all right, you're starting to just introduce these characters. And it's like, where are you guys going with this? In the first few phases you had these standalone movies but they all tied in together but they weren't beating you over the head trying to tie them in together here it's like they're purposely trying to just set up the next movie with each installment but there really doesn't seem to be any sense of where this is headed they went from having one movie a year to two movies a year that was still during phase one then they had three movies a year usually a spider-man movie thrown in there as well to make it into three and then the pandemic obviously disrupted a lot of things and that pipeline still had to keep getting fed because Disney plus Disney's losing money. 
despite having this hugely popular um, channel, they need more content. And this could be a segue into talking about what's happening with Star Wars as well. What's maybe a positive sign in all of this is that a lot of these um, streaming companies are going to go bankrupt very soon. They've uh, basically spent too much money. And even the successful ones like Netflix and uh, Disney are like in debt. And yeah. Disney has now, uh, or the MCU in general, but Disney has signed off on it, is to slow down all of these shows. They've delayed the movies. They've delayed the TV series. Some of these Star Wars movies that were supposed to, Star Wars series that were supposed to premiere at the end of the year aren't coming out until next year. And I think that they're doing it for two reasons. One is I think the volume of content is having an impact on the quality of it. But also on top of that, they've kind of won Disney and Netflix and maybe HBO Max have won the streaming wars. And now everybody else is going to dry up and die on the vine pretty soon. So they get to slow down a little bit with the pace of releasing content. Then I hope that it's a positive sign, actually. They have like removed like two movies from our from the calendar. I don't know if they're rushing stuff or 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 what uh, you know what what the issue is, but it's just like something something's missing here. It's it's like the formula that they had for prior success. Again, you know, where you had just these good standalone movies that tied together, but again, it wasn't, you know, the, the, there wasn't such like a, 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 a forced, you know, sort of forced way to tie everything together. It just naturally sort of flowed into the, you know, ultimate pinnacle, which was Infinity War and Endgame. Here it's just, okay, we're going to have this movie and then we're going to we're gonna introduce these two new characters and then they're going to be in the next movie and then, you know, the next movie will just set up the yeah. movie after that. It's just and, set up. Everything Everything's just a cliffhanger for the next film. It's like there's yeah. never a payoff ever. <laughs> yeah. Even at the oh, end of this movie. I heard a rumor that Loki might actually come out very soon. Instead of the summer of 2023, they might be releasing it very soon. That's what Move I heard. Up. Oh, I'd be happy to see that. Although they do yeah, have, there, there's a lot of stuff coming out in the next month or two. So it, maybe June's a better. It's kind of a, a wasteland in June, and they <laughs> maybe monopolize the uh, the conversation. Although June's not a great time to release a a TV series. I mean, maybe just in reference to Quantum Mania and all the Kang. I should call it Kang Mania. You know, everyone wants yeah. to see more Kang. So. And he's rumored to appear in a multiple episodes of Loki too, as well. Yeah. So. Oh, he's definitely. I don't know if you've seen the movie, the Quantum Mania movie, but they definitely tease it explicitly there yeah. at the end. So. Yeah. All right. So I am going to give you my two cents, and then you guys can run with this conversation because I am on the outside looking in as far as even the Mandalorian uh, series because I really honestly did not see the whole second season of Mandalorian. I watched the beginning and then I watched the end and I didn't really fill in the gaps. When we discussed it before, I complimented the show for being this lone wolf and cub or like the original Incredible Hulk, right? Where it's like every week he rolls into town and solves someone else's problem. And I liked the fact that it wasn't tied into the mythology too much that, that you know, I, I didn't love the show anyway, but I did like that they allow themselves to just do whatever they want to do. They could just explore a new culture, a new planet, and these stories could be relatively standalone. I did not really like the first episode of the season, but like Andor, which I loved, I was like, well, maybe this is going to be more serialized, right? There's going to be an overarching story. And that seemed to be the case. And then with episode two, I started saying, okay, yeah, I'm starting to feel this. I like it. And then with episode three, and this is where I wanted to have this conversation, I really did enjoy like maybe the first half of this episode, even though there was a lot of mythology and a lot of telling me instead of showing me, 
regardless, I did mostly enjoy it. And then we have like, what, another one of these backdoor pilots shoved into the middle of the episode. I was like, what? Who's this? I, I got so confused. I'm not in the loop with the mythology of it. So unlike Andor, which had Easter eggs and I missed the Easter eggs and I still love the show, even though I missed all that stuff. Here, I feel like I need a, a primer, basically. So you guys, please fill me in on what I'm missing. And maybe Ray, <laughs> you already touched on some of this in the text messages. Sure. Speaking about the most latest episode, you know, that was released just on Wednesday, there are a lot of people complaining that it's <laughs> not the Monster of the Week episode. Mm -hmm. There is yeah. no Monster of the Week, this one. Instead, we get a tremendous amount of world uh, building, almost Andorian-like. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yep. Andor popped in there for a second. He's working when he and filing in that same cubicle. Like <laughs> yep. it's not an octagon now. Now it's just a square, but uh, almost <laughs> right. the same thing. And and you have like almost the same references to uh, office space with the TPS reports <laughs> yeah. with his mm -hmm. supervisor. It's like oh, I've seen this before. Where have I seen this before? Oh, that's right. I saw it in Andor. That's I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I think they make the New Republic. Quite creepy, uh, almost mm -hmm. wondering if the Empire wasn't so bad <laughs> <laughs> right. with the reconditioning program and mm -hmm. everything that's going on there. It, it just was very weird because you went from that initial scene with the TIE interceptors, which was by mm -hmm. far the oh, best. Yeah. I mean, I mean, forget about the first show of season three with the space pirates and the asteroid mm -hmm. belt. Yeah. This was by far so much yeah. better. I mean, incredible. And again, there's even little there's little Easter eggs in that because she even says it's a lot of ships for just one warlord, you know, with all those tight <laughs> interceptors. So they're sort of already alluding to the whole Thorn thing with that, I think. And on top of it, in the books and stuff, Thorn's favorite uh, ship for different attack modes was the Tie Interceptor. That was his by far his favorite Tie Fighter. You know, before they came up with the tie advanced, which was part of a video game and stuff. So there are all these subtle hints that they're sort of leading towards Thorn. So that's the that's the issue there, I think. So well, you, you hope that's where they're headed. Because well, there's the, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it could be the beginning of the first first order or whatever. first order. Yeah. I was going to call it the first republic, the first order. I think they're trying <laughs> to explain somehow Palpatine. <laughs> could you imagine that's the payoff like after five seasons or something it all integrates with that franchise we hate so much they're just trying oh to put my the God. color on it they now. gotta do something they gotta do something to get us out of that universe uh, i don't care uh, what they do you know yeah. that we were talking about you know the multiverse in, in the mcu stuff if they could please for the love of god get rid of get, just somehow decanonize the prequel trilogy i don't care what the hell they put in the well, in, in some of these shows <laughs> i mean i know the ahsoka series for sure is going to dwell on on thorn and then you got little subtle easter eggs like even on the first uh show where they have the silhouette of the purgils in hyperspace those are the hyperspace space yeah. well yeah. yeah if you watch the rebels series you know that's pretty much how it ended with ezra and thorn getting swooped up by those purgils and that's how they disappeared in hyperspace with these Space whales. So that's even a little foreshadowing where Grogu sees the uh, the purgils and he's like, ooh, look at those things. What did they see underwater when they were on? Um... That's the mythosaur. But yeah. the only one who saw that was Bo-Katan. Bo yeah, Bo-Katan. And that was like a mind-blowing thing for her because 
she's the one that's busting on all the the myths and legends of Mandalore. And here mm -hmm. is the living legend itself. You know, that is the original Mandalore rode on the mythical Mythosaur beast. If you remember from the first series with the um, the Ugnaught Keel or Keel, what was that guy's name? The Nick Nolte character. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. When he was yeah. first trying Keel. to ride on that fish cow thing. He said, your ancestors <laughs> nice. rode on the mythical mythosaur, you know? So that's uh, that's interesting, too, because clearly she's keeping that to herself. She's not yeah. telling anyone else about that. And she knows if she can somehow domesticate that beast or ride it, she could claim the uh, Mandalore throne without the Darksaber, even, maybe. She kind of made a mistake with the Darksaber. She kind of let it know what was going on, and then Din Djarin ended up stealing her thunder, so that's why I think she's not telling him about the mythosaur because she's keeping that. She's holding the cards on the mythosaur. You know, she's going to use that herself, I think, down the road. I got I got a couple of nitpicks that maybe you can answer or maybe these are just nitpicks in the show or plot holes. In the first episode, when we see that boy, which I think it, you, you're right, cleverly, it, you make you think you're seeing the origin story of. Um, yep. Uh, of the Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. It's actually not the case, but. They give him a helmet. It's not a giant helmet. It's like properly sized. How does he get a full sized helmet if he can't remove it <laughs> in the future? You know, and uh, and can they? I mean, does that mean you can? And when they say they can't remove it, truly, does that mean you can't remove it like in private or you can't remove it in public? Because I mean, doesn't he ever want to scratch his nose or something? I definitely need to get that helmet off sometimes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the lore was that they could remove it in absolute privacy. Right. Sort of almost like a burka. I think in season one specifically, we don't see his face. We see Baby Yoda's POV. You see like the back of his head, and then he puts the helmet back on and then turns to the camera, right? So I think if you're alone, which yes. you could take it off. Yeah, you could probably do that. So that's probably accounts for the head growth situation yeah. where you need a <laughs> yeah. bigger sized helmet. My son plays travel baseball, and he needs a new helmet every season. So <laughs> exactly. I'd have to think that young Mandalorians... <laughs> Have to go through a, a one one new helmet each year, but again, you got to remember that's a sub cult of the Mandalorians. That's the children of the Watch, who actually ended up fracturing and 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 really aligning with Darth Maul, you know, Clone Wars. So that's uh, that's what's interesting about that. Even in Rebels, Sabrine Wren was one of the other Mandalorians, and she freely took her helmet off all the time too. So it's obviously a uh, Sort of like a cafeteria Catholic, you know, they they choose which parts of the lore they want to follow and which ones they don't. Because even eating and drinking, remember? When he eats yeah, and yeah. drink, he kind of lifts he, it a little bit, like up. <laughs> you know? Ray made a good point, you know, about the about the episode, the most recent episode. I, I agree. I mean, that, you know, that fight scene kicked ass, man. That was unbelievable. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, they go to hyperspace. They cut to the opening. And of course, I usually skip it, which I did. I hit skip, you know, on Disney Plus. And then the next thing, they're in Coruscant with this doctor who I vaguely remember from last year. I think he helped. I think he helped rescue Grogu at the end. Yeah, he let them know the whole layout of the ship, and you know, Doctor Pershing. Yeah, he did all the Pershing. Yeah, but then the the woman, I didn't even remember. She was like one of the lieutenants on. Gideon Gideon's ship, ship. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, but but I'm sitting there going, "What the hell's going on?" Ten minutes we're dealing with this, and I'm sitting here going, "Is Mando going to show up here? Is this where he hyperspace to, and he's going to ask for help from the doctor?" 
and they're going on and on with the doctor and he's in the, you know, getting the biscuits. And, and I'm like, this is where, where are we going with this? Yeah. What am I watching here? You know, and I'm actually yeah. like, I started, I was telling you guys in the text before we had the podcast, I was actually falling asleep. I'm yeah. like, I, I don't know if I can make no. it through this episode. Actually, there's about five minutes there where I, I didn't go back and rewatch, but I was doing other stuff and I definitely tuned out. I kind of got interested in that, that twist at the end of that segment. But I mean, there's a chunk there in the middle where I honestly, I, I was not paying attention at all, basically. So Yeah, I, I, I was guilty of going over to my phone. You know, it's like <laughs> yes. started scrolling on my phone. You're going on Twitter to see if anybody understood what was happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, What's going on here? But yeah, it was like a little movie within a movie. The plot twist even is interesting because yeah. you still don't really know her intentions. Is right. she a exactly. double agent she with exactly. Moff Gideon? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I'm. I'm thinking. Yeah. I think she's. She's probably working for Moff Gideon because she had the doctor get the nece- necessary equipment. I guess to con- quote unquote continuous cloning research. Right. So yeah. I'd have to imagine that. Now. Now here's the thing that scares me. You're talking about Thrawn. You know. Yes. But if she's going to get the cloning research to <laughs> yes. Moff Gideon, my thought <laughs> is you combine that with. What went on in seasons one and two where they were going to try to do experiments on Grogu, mm-hmm. that's, you know, a Force-sensitive creature that they might want to clone. Right. This is all leading to a potential Snope situation. Yep. And, you know, you is is, is yeah. this is this going to be Palpatine again? Because if it uh, is, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to throw the remote through the screen. <laughs> see, see, if you're uh, knowledgeable about the expanded universe, so Thorn had this Jara CBO, which was an old Jedi that was cloned, aha, and brought back <laughs> as an evil Jedi. And that was all part of uh, Palpatine's plan in the EU. He was supposed to hang back and wait, lay low until the cloned Emperor came back, which he did in Dark Empire. There is an outlet here where it could still be building to Thorn, the whole Thorn trilogy, and not even really connecting with Skywalker or the last Jedi, but who knows? That's, that's the mystery right now, I think. And I think a lot of us who know about the expanded universe, you could see a lot of parallels with other characters, uh, even in that dark empire, which is the second series after the Thorn trilogy, they clone Luke from Luke's hand. Like, you remember how there was a whole thing about something was going to happen with Luke's hand, but his name was Luke L. U-U-K-E. <laughs> and I mean, a spoiler, in the end, Mara Jade kills L-U-U-K-E, Luke, and saves Luke. And that's how they get together, too. There's all these backstories in the EU where, and again, the Thorn trilogy happened roughly anywhere from six to seven years after Return of the Jedi. So it is the right time period here. Maybe they're going to reinvent that and... This is all filler for that, I hope, instead of filler for somehow Palpatine returns. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I still can't believe that they brought him back. Uh, well, that was an EU story, too, but they just uh, uh, they made up a new planet with, with <laughs> a thousand just star destroyers just sitting there dormant and, <laughs> and a million you know, children. No, one the best. One of the other things is, and I, and I know we're talking Mando, but this this always devolves into this. But oh, one no. of the other ridiculous, again. one of the other ridiculous things was, you needed this device to find that planet, right? Mm-hmm. In that in that horrible, last Skywalker, movie, correct? 
but then somehow everybody figured out how to get there at the end. Oh yeah. They left a yep. trail like breadcrumbs or something. <laughs> Hansel and Gretel with the breadcrumbs. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, I got one for you too. If you want to start busting cannon, right? So she gets there with Luke's old merged <laughs> X-ray. Yeah. Uh, X-wing, not X-ray. I, sorry, I just got off work. That's so I'm still like... <laughs> still thinking about X-rays. Right. So I mean, again, the T-65s had hyperspace capabilities. We know that. But Kylo Ren shows up with what? A Tie Fighter. They don't have hyperspace capabilities. They never have. So how the heck does he get all the way there from there? That's another thing. See, so there's too many plot holes in that. Well, let's not talk about that. Let's let's not waste <laughs> our time on that, right? The world between worlds will take care of that, Nick. And we'll, uh, we'll get rid of that once and for all, man. Oh, that would be that would be phenomenal. Unfortunately, though, I did buy a couple of uh, Funko Pops from the sequel trilogy after the first movie, thinking that it was going to be good because I did like. Force, Force Awakens. Awakens. <laughs> I, I did like the Force Awakens, other than the fact that they killed Han Solo for literally no reason whatsoever. Only then to you bring know. it back. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, exactly. They had to, uh, because they brought, <laughs> they brought Palpatine back. Um, Somehow he becomes a Force ghost, even though he has no Jedi powers. No, yes, oh my God. And, it, yeah. and it's like a mysterious way to become a Force ghost anyway, if you're a Jedi. It's only very select Jedi can even do it. Somehow Han Solo does it. You know? Well, he married in, he married into the Skywalker <laughs> yes. family, so I think he was able to force ghost he, capabilities. He, he, by he might have got it from his wife, like a venereal disease. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she was a force ghost at the very end of the that's, movie. That's too. how you get midichlorians right. in the first place. That's right. Well, I mean, again, maybe Han changed his name to Skywalker, also, since everyone. <laughs> yeah, just change your name. That's all you need to do. That is all you need to do. Yeah. The show, we'll see what we'll see what happens with it. You know, listen, we've talked about this in the past. It's John Favreau. He is excellent, and I think that chances are Ray is probably right. I think it's probably going in the direction of Thrawn. Hope so. We've alluded to this. We've mentioned this in the past. You know, the Ashoka series. If they do have uh, the world within worlds, all kidding aside, I think that will be the mechanism that ultimately either decanonizes or sends this storyline into a different universe separate and distinct from the sequel trilogies that we all hate yeah which which will actually be refreshing because not only will we not have to deal with those anymore it opens up unlimited possibilities as to what could go on now for anything that happens after return of the jedi you know mandalorian etc because even with andor as great as andor is excellent show but we know how that story ends mando Theoretically, we also know how it ends because, you know, we, at some point we end up with the first order or whatever the hell they're called. But but if they can somehow decanonize the sequel, then it just it opens up all possibilities and you will get that expanded universe that Ray mentioned. You know, what the upside of that sequel series is my complaint has been that we all love the Luke Skywalker story. You think about this whole entire universe, the force, the force is everywhere in the universe, right? It, it's impacting you. Potentially, there are millions, billions of people across the universe that are force sensitive. And there's not just one Darth Vader. There could be hundreds or thousands of Darth Vaders and uh, Emperor Palpatines. And this franchise, to its disservice, has been so pinned to Luke that it's as if we're saying like, well, now what are you supposed to do? We just have to fit other stories into Luke's uh, lifespan. And here's the thing, like they, they probably aren't going to have a multiverse. So what they're going to be forced to do is like, let's go and find a new bad guy. Let's go and find a new hero. Let's go and tell brand new stories. In a way, the reason we're now going to have the 
liberty to tell those stories is because they screwed up the, the Skywalker story so badly. So it's like, okay, let's now finally quit that. And we can tell as many different stories as we want, right? Because there could be a new emperor. This franchise is going to run for decades. We don't have to right. only talk about these four or five characters forever. Like, you know, we joked about it with Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like, go to any corner of this universe. They're like, we've traveled 500 light years. And it's like, hey, Leia, hey, look, C-3PO. It's just like, okay, these six people are always basically within a, a rock's throw from each other. It's like, but, okay, let's get over it. They're still doing it anyway. They bring back R5-D4 yes. yeah. as an astromech yeah. droid. It's like, there's a yeah. million astromech droids in this universe, <laughs> and they have to have R5-D4, the same R5-D4 that was almost sold to Owen Lars from the sand qual. It's like, can you get another astromech droid? Why do we have to have R5-D4 here? I mean, it's just, you know, it's great. Yep, but, yep. They recently released the three novels, um, a lot of short stories. You know, what you're alluding to, Victor, is some of the side characters where they try to expand their stories. So um, they call it like from a certain point of view, I think, are the, the books. So in The New Hope, there is a short story devoted to R5-D4, who actually is Force-sensitive and has a Force dream that he has to malfunction to allow R2-D2 to carry on his mission for Luke to actually then become the the new hope for the alliance and that's a short story <laughs> r5d4 at least in canon in the novel is actually a force sensitive droid that now is hanging out with grogu and also now din jaren so i i mean again you can it just gets a little it gets a little <laughs> ridiculous sometimes i mean you know fascinating some of these backstories but again they keep crying back to mama they keep going back to the source yeah. material whatever it may be you know including this whole this this uh this infatuation with IG eleven still I don't understand I I don't get that at all with you know that whole thing why did he need a droid to go to Mandalore to begin with <laughs> right he right, just pressurizes right. helmet like well I don't understand that I'm like <laughs> yeah to test the atmosphere but then when the droid was lost he got out of the ship anyway I know right. it's like what's the point and that's the other thing i thought he was going to be like you know going for the swim like i thought that was going to be the payoff at the end of the season he did it after the first episode or second episode right. yeah yeah and now and now we're stuck with the doctor and the and the and the irrelevant uh you know not, uh, not Gideon. Fried. i think his brain is fried or something now <laughs> oh yeah he's totally screwed oh yeah he can't yeah he's gone <laughs> you said it best about the easter egg the akbar easter egg yeah the Akbar Easter egg was awesome. You had you had uh, Doctor Pershing going. It was a trap to the to the other Moncalari. I'm like, this is great. They turned maybe, it around. Maybe that maybe that was Admiral Akbar's son. Actually, he was saying it to. <laughs> oh, they'll tie it all back, sure. <laughs> but the weird part is, why would they fry his brain? He's a very valuable commodity to the whole cloning process. Anyway, now that the comedians are gone, he's maybe one of the only people that has this knowledge. Maybe so that's why they got rid of him. Gideon, why would she fry his brain? Like, I don't. Why are those comedians gone, by the way? Oh, they got wiped out. The, uh, they did. Uh, Palpatine wiped them all out, killed them all. Yeah. Oh, when did he do that? Kind of like around the the uh, the new Empire, um, like the Bad Batch, where they're talking about that right now, that series. That's about the time frame that, that uh, Palpatine does that. Yeah. Why does he wipe them out? Because he doesn't want anyone else to get a hold of any cloning technology. He wants it all Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't See, know that. That's yeah, that's, so they that's, get a, that's one in the uh, Palpatine column, possibly. Mm -hmm. Another one. Another Snoke. And again, they, 
they should be making Snoke soon if they're going to tie it into the into the, yeah. the sequel trilogy. They did have a few. They the did case. have a few Snokes in the containers there in that in that last movie in the last Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Um, or wait, what was the name of that? What was the name of the last movie? The number nine. Uh, was it the Rise, Rise of Skywalker? Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah I confused that one in the last Jedi. Oh, I I, it's, I look, forget it on purpose. I think it's subconscious. <laughs> just forget it. I actually tried watching it again. Oh god! And I couldn't. I couldn't get through like the first half hour. I was like, mm-hmm. "This is like, it was like six movies that they spliced together in yeah. like a really disjointed." Kyle Ren shows up on the planet that you can't get to without the device. Then, then he finds Palpatine, and and then I don't know what the hell happened. In general, with the movies, I feel like it's so crazy that I, I feel like they missed the things that people loved about the show. Yeah. about the series of films and one of those things i think is hilarious is that there was some mandate that every single one of these movies has to have a death star in it so like with the the force awakens yep. they're like it's a bigger death star and they already did that with the first trilogy by the way and then with the second one they're like oh it's a death it's just the gun from the death star it's mobile now we brought it with us right yep. and then with the last one it's just like we have star cruisers and all of them have a death star on it and it's just like holy crap like guys it, it all is just this one death star over and over again it's palpatine over and over again it's just like okay all right <laughs> come up with something the um, the, the 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 last jedi which was the second one, right? The second, pretty much the premise of the movie though, was it was just basically a, a one starship was being chased by the other. That was oh, pretty the, slow, much the slow chase. Yeah. The slow chase. Yeah, yeah. That was the whole movie. Right. And then they, and then they went to Las Vegas, whatever the Las Vegas planet Oof, is. That, they went the there. Worst part, yes. Yes. Bite. <laughs> and the Las Vegas and planet. They, with they the, leave, with the they leave, the llama races. They leave and come back to the the slow moving ship, and no one like no one like shoots them out of the sky. They just like exit and come back again. It's it's ridiculous. And the space horses and the broom boy. It's just it's all great. Oh yeah, broom boy. I forgot about broom boy at the end. Boy and the space horses. I just and know. Rose. You can't forget about Rose, one of the most critical oh. Star Wars characters ever. I feel bad for the actress though. She really got yeah. They really were horrible to her. They gave her two lines in the in the. <laughs> He gave her two yeah. lines in the last movie. In the last film, yeah. <laughs> Maybe she'll show up in 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 uh, the next Mandalorian. The next episode, there'll be like five minutes. There'll be like an awesome scene. Then there'll be credits, and then the next thing will be like Rose sitting on a planet talking to somebody for like a half hour, and then the last <laughs> ten minutes will go back to Mando. <laughs> yeah. a-, a couple of things just to, before we wrap up is just to tie it into the whole my whole concern with not only Star Wars but with franchise management with the MCU as well as badly as I think it's been the MCU has been managing this franchise with these films that primarily have barely any story and then they're just cramming uh, you know the next chapter the next chapter the next TV show it's all just trailers for the next thing as bad as that is I got to tell you just hearing you guys talk about this series the Mandalorian the appeal of it I know people who are just like, I'm so happy that the Mandalorian is here. I'm watching the Mandalorian with my 10-year-old, with my 12-year-old. It's like a kid's show, basically. And now it's like, it's deep in this mythology to the point of like how just this specific season has been written. The little kid watching this for the first time, who is going to tune in again after seeing episode one of this show without, I mean, in a vacuum, without having that relationship. And then, okay, episode two is better. 
But then you get to uh, episode three. Imagine like season one of Mandalorian. You're sitting down with your eight-year-old. They can't wait for the next episode. And they get that episode. They're going to be like, what the hell is happening here? And you would have to sit down with them and like give them a dissertation about, well, you see, there's this thing. And then there's this book you have to read. And there's this other series. And then there's this cartoon Bad Batch. And then there's the Rebel Wars a series. And, you're, and, the, and your kid would just be glazing over and I kind of feel that way. I kind of feel like I'm missing like 80% of this is going right over my head. I say that as someone who's watched most of this content and I'm still kind of on the outside looking in, right? Yeah. No, I, it makes me worry about that this is the direction there. Not, not that you can't tell the story. Look at Andor is filling in blanks and it's definitely has those elements in it, but that's not why it's compelling to watch. It's just compelling to watch because it's basically a heist or a spy movie every single week. And then you add those other things in instead of being like, and by the way, it's almost like they accidentally put it in there. A Mandalorian episode is like 30 minutes long. This one was 50 minutes long because they literally just cut the Mandalorian episode in half and then shoved the 20 minutes in. in the middle. <laughs> well, I was actually saying, I'm like, you know what? This is like this episode of Mandalorian sort of made up for the fact that one of the episodes of Boba Fett was an episode of Mandalorian. Yes. So oh, exactly. it's yes, like we're, we're now we're now even. Like we're yep. now we're now even in terms of the number of Mandalorian episodes we've <laughs> right. we've exactly. got. Maybe this whole thing is related to Moff Gideon, and she stole this stuff to help him create a Los Polos Hermanos somewhere on a planet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe. It's like, or, or again, is, is Moff Gideon working for Thorn, or is, is Thorn pissed off that Moff Gideon? crapped on the bed and uh, now he's going to come to take over the whole operation who knows you know but it, you do allude to that he probably escaped the yeah. other other formal imperials were talking at that little picnic table and clearly they're drinking mike's hard lemonade or something there and they're <laughs> they're talking about moff gideon maybe escaping or whatever so they they might be together for all we know or and i don't think it's separate factions so they might be all part of the same cause which then again really makes me worry that they're just setting up backstory for the sequel trilogy, and if yeah. that's the case, uh, it's a it's a sellout. Everyone's gonna everyone's gonna quit the show. Sellout, Filoni and Favreau. <laughs> I really don't think that they can. I I think that Favreau's smart enough. I, I think it's 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 gonna lead in a different direction. Uh, at least I'm hoping that's the case. I but I mean, if it, I think we're all. I mean, if, it, yeah. if, it's, if this really is just the build up, gee, I really want to see a series about the origins of of Snope and the First Order. Yeah. That would be extremely <laughs> right. exciting to me. Well, at one point, I, you do almost hear Snoke's theme when uh, Pershing oh, God. talking about cloning in the episode. If you go back and listen, you can you can actually hear Snoke's theme. So that's why Oh, I my God. If they it. are actually dropping Snoke's theme, yeah. just doesn't sound similar, but it's actually intentional. We're in for it then. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh. All right. Before we wrap up, I got two quick things. One is Nick. We definitely will talk um, Ted Lasso. Ray, do you watch Ted Lasso? No, I, I recently got Apple TV. I, well, I got the, the on the app now because you don't need the little Apple box. So I just got mm -hmm. it on my Fire Stick. The reason I got it was for Prehistoric Planet, which was mm, that yes. CGI mm -hmm. dinosaur nature film, which actually John Favreau was the executive producer of. Believe it or yeah. not, so it's pretty cool. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then I'm gonna watch. I have to watch that. Yeah, I'm gonna start watching Ted Lasso because I heard. Oh, Ted Lasso's so good. Yeah, it's I just so wanted good. to bring it up for the fact, Ray, that this season, season three, that just started, there is a whole Empire Strikes Back 
parallel going on. And uh, like it's right, yeah. it's it's pretty funny. Like you see the evil team that they have to fight. They have iconography, like their symbolism looks very like fascist. And and what's his name? Who's the owner? I can't remember Nick, the owner's Rupert. name. His office has like the, the round window in the background, which yeah, is like a yeah. call back to the to that the big window in the Empire Strikes Back that they have that lightsaber battle over. So it's oh, like yeah. they're putting all these Easter eggs to Star Wars in there. It's pretty funny. That's cool. I'll take a look. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and then probably season yeah, no, three, they're gonna sure. probably have lots of tie-ins to Empire Strikes Back, I have a feeling. So very cool. Hopefully, it's not the last season of Ted Lasso. This is this is the last season, but they are going to spin. They're yeah. spinning it off. Yeah, they're spinning. Oh, it they off. are spinning it off. Okay, yeah. that's good at least. Sudeikis wants out of the franchise, but they have a couple of okay. the characters that they're going to spin off. So, yeah, because it was originally it was written as a three season arc. Right. Exactly. Maybe we'll regroup when we get to the end of the season. Mandalorian wraps up in about a month on the nineteenth, but that same week we can also talk about the fact that Barry comes back yes. on the sixteenth. Nice. We could talk the Barry premiere and we could talk the Mandalorian wrap up. All right. No, that sounds good. About a month. Sounds great. Finally, after all these years, I finally started watching Narcos. Oh wow. And I still have not seen Narcos. I've oh, never it's it. good. It's good. I'm only in, I'm only on the third good. episode. It is as advertised. Excellent. All right, guys. All right, I guys. let you go. It's getting pretty late. All right. Thanks again. This is the way. <laughs> This is the way. <laughs> this is right. the way. That's right. This is the way. <laughs> All right. Take care. Take care, guys.